Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling almost 100%. I don't know what to attribute that to. I told you last episode what was going on and what I was taking and how I was handling it. Today on the show, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle is on the show today. Don Cheadle, who's, uh, I guess there's a new um, season of Black Monday on Showtime, season two, it's premiering March 15th, this Sunday at 10 p.m. We talked about a lot of stuff, good stories, some great stories, great guy. I had, like Before Cheadle came in, I had to decat the place because he's highly allergic, I was told. There's been no cats out here, but there was a pillow. There was a pillow that... Uh, Buster kind of made his own that danderized it. He danderized, he cat danderized, he busterized it. The pillow that's on the seat of the chair over there. And um, so I washed that and I didn't end up putting it there anyways. Anyone, anyone has, who didn't want anyone's throat to close up? But oddly, no allergic problems, but the fucking power went out, man. The power went out in this place and I don't know how... Everything didn't get lost because we were 40 minutes in, but I think it's because I have one of these towers that I plug into, you know, where you plug that into the wall and it's got like a built-in battery trip going. One of those things where it's like this giant thing that you plug into, like a power strip times 20, but it's got a battery in it and I think that saved us. I think that saved the Cheadle Marin discussion. I've got a lot of tech in here, man, if I think about it. I got the headphone amp, I got the Zoom backup, I got the EPM6 mixer here, I got I got the uh, Apple, I got like nine backup drives so we don't lose anything. I got the Google Assistant to help me out with uh, with stuff during the intros. That that ought to be fun, right? We'll see what happens with that. Tuesday night, man. I'll be you, I'm going to do the Bon Scott tribute. Where the fuck is that happening, man? The Avalon? I don't know. Go to deandelray.com. The Bon Scott tribute. There might be a couple tickets left. Um, let me ask. Uh, hey, Google. Uh, where is the Dean Del Rey Bon Scott tribute? Dean Del Rey's tribute to Bon Scott of ACDC comedy and rock show is located in the Avalon Hollywood. There you go. 
my special um, end times fun premieres tomorrow. And I, I guess I maybe I, I'm not as look. I'm I'm nervous about it because I'd like I'd like people to see it, and I'd like a broad swath of people to see it. I put about two years of work into the special and weaving it together so everything sort of connects and hangs together like a, a singular piece. I recorded in a beautiful little theater downtown L.A. And I got to be honest with you, if if this doesn't provoke something in somebody in a large way, then I clear my relevance is in question. Not because I'm trying to. It's just I watched it again and I realized like in my own sort of a smooth way, I kind of seek to uh, I push buttons on all levels in all directions but I, I, I'm doing it in a, in a sweet way, and I don't. And it's stuff on the this. The, some of this shit in the special is pretty, pretty heavy. It's pretty um, over the top. The closer is uh, is almost operatic in its uh, construction. And I just, I guess, when you do something in this day and age, like a special, you want it to land, man. You know, I just want it. And I don't. I know you guys listen to me, and 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 you know that it's going to be on. But I want it to go out there in in a big way, and uh, we'll see what happens. I guess I've done all I can. I think. I think I've done all I can. I think I'm going to ask a couple of my buddies to maybe put it out, help me tweet it out there. I'd like. I'd like to hear the opinion of uh, Jason Zinneman over there at the New York Times, just to because it's not even that. It's it's not the promotion thing. I like critics to deal with it so I can get a sense of it. I respect intelligent critics and if they are actual critics and not just reviewers, um, I can learn something about what I've done. I don't really know what I've done. Even when I sent a, a link to Brendan McDonald, the producer of this show, my business partner, who, who has known me forever and seen me through a lot of different material, his take on some of the stuff I did in the special was a way of looking at it that I hadn't looked at it. There was something that he saw, and I think it's in there, but I like the fact that I, I put this stuff together, I put it out there, and I really I can't see it the way you guys see it or react to it the way you guys react to it. All I know is I'm thrilled that it's going to be out there tomorrow. I'm excited to hear what people think about it, you know? All right, let's do... Come on, man. My special's on tomorrow. I can't be expected to keep my thoughts together. I made cabbage today. How do you make cabbage? <laughs> hey, Google. How do you make cabbage? Sure. I've got a recipe called Southern Cabbage Recipe from Divas Can Cook. Does that sound good? No, I'd like a Indian cabbage recipe. Okay. I've got a recipe called Indian Cabbage and Potato Curry Vegan from the Wholesome Fork. Does that sound good? Yeah, but I don't have time right now. No problem. Um. All right. So let's... I did make cabbage. Here's how I make it because some people seem to like my recipes occasionally. I take a head of purple cabbage and a wok. And in the wok on high heat, before I lower it a little bit, I put avocado oil. Then I throw, I would say, probably a tablespoon of black mustard seeds in there. And when they start to pop and fizzle, I throw in maybe a tablespoon and a half of cumin seeds, whole cumin seeds. And when they brown a little bit, I throw the shredded cabbage into the wok, which is kind of uh, unruly. Crank it down to about medium high and then try to toss that shit. 
you know, give it, let it simmer and then toss it around. And it'll start to shrink and shrink. And then you toss it and you toss it and you get an, uh, you know, almost soft. Get that cabbage al dente, the purple cabbage. And then I hit it with probably a quarter cup plus a little more of apple cider vinegar and steam it out with the apple cider vinegar, toss it around in that, and then uh, cover it uh, and turn the heat off so it gets all soggy after it steams in the apple cider vinegar. I make that like twice a week, man. That's all. A little Mark Marin recipe for you. So let's do some more of these horrible text emails. Do you want to? I think we've been having a pretty good time with these. Hi, Mark. I'm a personal trainer at a popular gym in Philadelphia. I meet with new people of all walks of life every day and give them one free workout to check out our program. This soft young man was 20 minutes late to the workout and then proceeded to send me a text clearly meant for his friend. I'm not losing sleep over this, but honestly, he could have apologized. All right. And here she sent a little screenshot of it. Hey, overswept a bit. I'm leaving my house now. Should be there in 20. Trainer says, okay, thanks for letting me know. Uh, and then the, the other the guy says, yo, my trainer this morning had the fattest ass, thick white jaw, no titties, and a fat face, but her legs were like, whoa. And, and then she goes, wrong chat, my friend. And he sends four of those half-confused, sad faces emojis. He goes, well, this is very embarrassing. Guy talk. Hope you understand. And then she says, uh, that was a complete cop-out and honestly angered me more than the content of the text. Well, yeah. Well, what happened? Did you stand up for yourself? This is the end of the email. You got to give me a follow-up on that. That was it? You didn't, I, what? You didn't say, you know, you know, go fuck yourself. You shouldn't talk like that. Even... I mean, I guess men are going to talk, but I mean, wow, that, but that was the end of it. Okay. All right. Fine. That, yeah, that was a rude, I, I would not have liked that text to come at me. This was a good one. Subject line, text gone wrong thanks to WTF. Oh, I'm involved. My friend Sabra and I are avid listeners. Our daughters are 12 and have grown up together, so our families are close. One thing we bond over is WTF. In fact, Sabra bought me your book for Christmas a couple years back. Anyway, we always text each other if one of us has heard a specific episode or tell each other not to miss episode XYZ. Last month, I had sent her a text telling her to listen to the Terry Crews interview. I love him in most of his films, but thought the interview was riveting. What a life, right? She was surprised by my endorsement and said she would listen before we saw each other. Here's a text exchange. Sabra, just listened. So much in that one. Some crazy shit. Then me, nothing like a porn addiction, a football career, and a WME agent grabbing your crotch. Then I'm shopping at the container store and I get a call from my 12-year-old daughter's guitar teacher. He's like, hey, it's Kim, the guitar teacher. Is everything okay? I just got a text from you. Is Todd okay? Her husband. Are you okay? I said, shit, that was meant for someone else. And then tried to explain that it was about your show and a guest, which all sounded like bullshit. And that it's Terry Crews who had the porn addiction. And, and, and I was mortified. Thanks, Mark. See you down the road, Gene. Ah, sorry, Gene. Pretty funny. I think that's, I think you can recover from that one, though. I really do. All right, look, folks. I talked to... Don Cheadle about a lot of stuff, a lot of great stories. You, you know, a guy who's had that big a career, uh, you know, there's a lot to cover, but we we landed on some really interesting stuff. And I really, I was happy I was able to um, 
talk to him about his Miles Davis movie, uh, Miles Ahead, which I loved. And, uh, and, and we got off on a little bit of a, a talk about jazz. So Cheeto and I had a great time, and you're going to hear it right now. His show, you know, the Black Monday show on Showtime, starts this Sunday, March 15th, season two. That's the premiere, Sunday, March 15th at 10 p.m. This is me talking to Don Cheeto. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. What happens if the cat, if you get around? I, my throat closes oh, up. No. I start hacking and wheezing. Yeah, it's it's bad. Oh, really? Like if you wanted to kill me. It's you a could cat? Just, you could throw me in a room full of cats and oh my knock God. the door and I probably wouldn't make it out. And you've had that the whole life? You know, I just started noticing it like when I was in college. Oh, because I, I, I don't have allergies, I don't think. But the ones that do that, like guys who have that nut allergy. Oh, yeah, that, when it's a wrap. Yeah, it's just like. And I started a, to become allergic to cut grass. Cut grass? Which was not a thing for my whole life. <laughs> How do you avoid that? <laughs> you don't. You can't avoid it. And I golf. So You golf? So you're just fucked. So what do you do? Take the Claritin? Or? You take a Claritin before. Yeah. And then you, after you're finished with the round, you kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been golfing? Oh, man. Let me see. Is Probably it? now over 20 years. Now explain it to me because I know guys that golf and uh, and I'm condescending about it. Good. Cool. Yeah. Let's go. And I'm, I'm just sort of like, uh, what are you fucking kidding? What are you? <laughs> I like that. I, but I understand that it's meditative and uh, it's a solo journey. And uh, you're out there with the cut grass, wheezing. And, and your people and your friends usually. Yeah. And it's a long time. So it gives you a chance to talk, hang out, kind of uh, enjoy space. Smoke a joint. Yeah. And, chill. And, yeah. All right. And, and, and sort of, I mean, the, the thing for golf for me is that it really, uh, it just reveals who you are to yourself. Really? In a way that it's a physical sort of a manifestation of the things that you're going through. And really? To me. And I think a lot of golfers would agree. Well, wait, okay, so what What have you, your guy over the last 20 years has also played, you know, a, a, a broad number of different types of people that I think would show you some af, different aspects of yourself. Mm -hmm. But you think golf, what is it, the simplicity? What have you learned? Well, about? It's, it's so challenging. It's the hardest thing yeah. to do. It's the hardest okay. physical, it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do physically. Have you tried to, to like the solo climbing? With no, With, uh, no ropes? I'm black, so I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, we don't do that kind of shit. Hey, I got an idea. Let's cr climb that mountain face with nothing but chalk. 
<laughs> yeah, that's cool. No, not not no, for you. We don't do that shit. <laughs> um, but so yeah, no, I haven't but, tried that. That would be infinitely harder than yeah, golf. Yeah, but I mean, but uh, but the physicality is not. I guess it's difficult. It but, is because in every other sport, you yeah. know, I don't know if you play any sports. Any other sport, with I've a hit ball, a ball. Yeah. Well, you hit a ball. Sure, so man. You get to, there's a physics that you get the trajectories coming, and you get to move your body toward where the ball is coming. And there's a, you know, there's yeah, a, right. There's an athleticism that allows you to sort of be in the space. A golf ball is just sitting there. I know. It's crazy. It's so focused, man. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, now hit that. Yeah. It goes from stillness to you being still, and now go from still to still to hitting that and then try to move it down the fairway. Try to put this in a hole that's this big. That's ultimately the goal. Right. So when you're able to do it, it's usually, and do it well, it's usually because you have been able to really sort of control all of those demons and all of that noise and all of that right you know they show like the the brain waves for archers and target shooters and people that do that and you know olympic they did it with olympic target shooters and their brain waves when they pull the trigger are like that you know and ours are usually pretty erratic yeah on fire yeah yeah so when you can get into that meditative state i get it it feels great right and you finish and you look back and go oh wow that was a few hours where i was just like in In that that's what i i can completely appreciate that but do you you don't do any meditating Mm -hmm. you do that too Mm -hmm. so you spend a lot of time in this state yeah i try to (laughs) (laughs) see like i've been told i need to meditate too how long you been doing that um I've been doing that. I kind of started that in college, too. Really? A lot of stuff started for me in college. I went to CalArts, California Institute of the Arts. Yeah. And that was a very mind-opening, mind-broadening uh, experience. What year was that? This was 82 to 86. Like, And where'd you come from? Uh, I'd moved right from there to California from Denver, Colorado, though, I, where I'd lived for the last seven years. But I come from Kansas City. I'm born in Kansas City, Kansas Missouri. City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so- Go Chiefs. Yeah. Are you a big Chiefs fan? Yeah. You got to be, right? I don't know much about it, but I assume that you kind of lock into your states. Yeah. yeah. So you were born in Kansas City? Mm-hmm. And your family was just there the whole time? We moved around a lot. Why? Um, I was sort of an education brat. I wasn't a military <laughs> brat. My father, you know, was- Chasing tenure? Chasing chasing degrees, chasing scholarship oh, really? money, chasing, yeah, I imagine, grants and, you know, where- What was his uh, focus? He's a psychologist. Really? psychologist. He's a qu- so he sees patients. He did. He's re- since retired. In the house? Uh, no, never uh, in the house. Oh, uh, that's always um, a weird thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the office is in the back. Especially if you ever know the dude. Because my dad, he did, you know, family and teens. And oh, okay. So a right, lot so of family like, therapy. So a lot of families in the community be like, yeah, we sent our son to your dad. Yeah. And it didn't work out. Well, I actually <laughs> visited my dad at his office one time, which was right down the street yeah. from my school. And <laughs> I did recognize a kid that was coming out. And he was yeah. like, well, what are you doing here? Yeah. I was, like, I was just going to say hi. He's like, don't ever come by the office unannounced. <laughs> It's like, it's a, Jimmy is really fucked up, yeah. isn't he? What did he tell you? I know you guys have that client doctor right, thing, right, but, but come I'm on. your son. Come on, give it up. <laughs> Nothing, huh? Nothing. So he, so, th- so that's what he was doing. So when you were growing up, he was still getting the degree and, and yeah. figuring that shit out. And yeah. he ended up in Denver to yeah. set up a practice or he finished yes. his education yes. there? Yes, he set up a practice. In Denver? Yeah, in Denver, Colorado. Man, that's like, it's hard to breathe there. Oh, I loved it. You I did? Mean, it was amazing to be an athlete and, you know, play soccer 
in Denver mm. or basketball. You soccer guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then come to LA or come to another state and just be able to run forever and people are like, <laughs> winded. You're like, why are you guys winded? <laughs> it's like a lifetime of training. <laughs> exactly. Limited I, oxygen. Had no idea that it was actually going to be beneficial down the line. I mean, I go back now and I can't breathe at all. But when I was coming up, it was very... Uh, helped me a lot in and the, so you grew so you were in denver for like from what age to what age so so from sixth grade to senior year six years so like wow. 12 years old to 18 years. and that's so that's like kind of your state in a way i mean that's formative years you, you formative have a, years. you have a love for colorado i i do have a love for colorado my family my dad still lives there my my brother and sister still live there and yeah. nieces and nephews so so you're there a lot I, mean, I go back yeah so did you act in in the high school yes that's sort of where the bug, now the bug actually hit an elementary school, but I had a very good um, high school teacher, Kathy Davis, and she, you know, introduced us to Uta Hagen and Stanislavski. Really? And, yeah. So that was the beginning of the mind blowing. Yeah. It wasn't, was, it wasn't basic shit. It was the real shit. Yeah. She uh, was a real, she was really smart. She, I didn't, uh, she told me about CalArts. I had no idea that you could actually pursue you could go to school and study it. I right. was just like, what am I going to do now? She's like, you know you can continue your education in this field. I can. Were both your folks around then? Yes. And would you, were they supportive of it? Super supportive. That's they, a, they drove me to school. and That's the benefit off. of having like uh, parents in education, yeah. parents with a broad understanding of things, yeah. where they're like, yeah, yeah, just do that. Yeah. They're probably a little nervous. Def- definitely nervous, especially for CalArts at that time. Yeah. Because it was wide open really what oh, do you yeah. mean like, clothing optional pool and oh, you know oh, really? co-ed rooms and i, I imagine it's kind of still like that so that was a trip there i don't know anything about i don't know if i've talked to anybody who went to CalArts. yeah i loved it it, it was, was like a, a real old school hippie school kind of deal or well what? it was coming state out school, of being chenard it used to be chenard it was an art school specifically okay. an art school but is it a state school not not a state no, school. It's private school yeah yeah and um you know, it, it it's just five metiers. It's I think now it's maybe a little broadened, but it was just acting, dance, um, visual arts. Uh, you know, animation was a part of the film school uh-huh. and music. The music school was huge. You know, where where is it? There. It's in uh, it's in uh, Saugus. How far? Is right that... across from Magic Mountain. Oh, really? Yeah. Wild. So it's like out there. Yeah. It's just and it's a conservatory. And yeah, you're you're out there. Like there's nothing else <laughs> yeah. happening. Or wasn't definitely when I was there. It's built up a little more now but when i was there that was it uh, and and so you just went for acting so it's i imagine it's a bunch of fairly serious experimenting people yeah yeah in a very conservatory sort of a, a setting you know? and what so each year what do you how does it work what's it what's the structure well you have classes in movement yeah, and, all right. and, and voice and speech huh. and then you have your studio time which is blocks out of the day then you have to then you're doing your plays you're yeah. putting those up and then you have to work work the plays so right. you have to do the technical stuff and the day went from like, and we had tai chi which was amazing so i learned tai chi at tai chi chi was a requirement it was a it was a requirement for the first year students so that's that kind of was the beginning of the the mind opening all of it yeah the beginning of all of it so you do and mushrooms mushrooms <laughs> are you one of those guys that does those yearly no, I haven't done that in a long time. I'm, I've kind of been like, I, I'd like to do that again. I Some done dudes it do it. Time. They do kind of like a like a well, reboot. The microdosing stuff is well, yeah, that's a little odd. Now. Yeah, that's odd. I don't know, man. You know, I'm a sober guy, so like, uh, you know, for me, it's like I don't know. I, I just don't put any of it in. Right. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like because I got the kind of brain where it's like, well, this is a little bit. 
Why don't we? Let's keep going and see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why are we stopping why, here? Why, what's with the little bit? Yeah. I kind of want to feel something. Yeah, man. man. I'm not going to yeah. underachieve out Yeah, here. yeah. So, uh, so Tai Chi, do you still do that? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. So, so between golf, Tai Chi, and meditation, you're, you're, pretty, <laughs> you're pretty level, man? You get, I yeah. think I'm pretty level. <laughs> I think I'm one of the most level dudes that I know. So when you're, so, okay, so in college, so the movement thing and you did, did you do like, was it like uh, classical stuff? Did you do- Oh, everything. Fencing and stuff? Yes, we did stage combat and we did everything. I mean, we're doing Shakespeare, we're doing Moliere, we're doing August Wilson, we're doing Atalfu Guard, we're doing- Yeah. Everything. Because I was thinking about that, about the the roles, like, you know, when when you say like golf sort of really shows you who you are, but like there's, you've stepped into some, I have to assume, and this just kind of- I realized it yesterday, actually. I mm. talked to um, Tandy Newton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Tandy. Yeah, and uh, you know, we were talking about that role um, in in Westworld, being in, in informing her uh, about you know who she is and, and what her struggles are and what her fight is. So, mm. I, you know, what you know, you know, the the character was perfect for her because it helped her move through things. Mm. Did you did you find that? Because I don't know that I've talked to actors about that specifically. The the, the growth of self through the roles. I I think so. I mean, yeah. if you if you take it seriously, and yeah. you're really trying to authentically come from a place where you can live in this person, and that's what you do. You have to find yeah. the place where you and the person meet. Right. I think, or, yeah, you, yeah, or, what yeah. you, or I don't sure. know what you're kind of doing. It's just right, like right. a puppet show. Yeah, you, yeah. You have to really, yeah, <laughs> get there, meet that person halfway. Yeah, yeah. So when you're touching that stuff, you cannot help but bring up. Mm. your stuff right and right now you have to kind of filter through and go well i don't need that let, exactly. me, let me get rid of that let me not use that that's me that doesn't have anything to do with this right but you have to keep i think you know true to those things that are motivating you and and keep touching that yes yeah. it's a conscious thing though where you're yeah. like well that was too much me yeah because you can I slip mean, into it though right like when you're acting you can kind of like that that last take was me well, we I think by the time you're actually doing it, hopefully you've had in. the script long enough and yeah. you've, had the, you've, you've worked on it and you've kind of been able to have it be mostly not you. How, how, much, do you do, how much do you read the script before you get in? in you know, uh, yeah? yeah? The whole script or just the pieces? No, all the, the whole script. Really? I always find something new every time I read the script. Really? Yeah. That's why. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about like I've been trying to figure out how to get into this, but I, you know, I fucking loved your Miles Davis movie. Oh, thank you, man. I loved it, and <laughs> and uh, you know I think I saw it twice, and because I I don't it was one of those movies that you know it's sort of on you mm-hmm. to figure out what's he trying to do here, right. what's going on like and it seemed to me that it was sort of a, a meditation on the man himself, <laughs> right? So it's just sort of like this is a an impression, man, right? So you got the you you know and you've you've run the whole arc of the Miles thing. You've got Miles who is bordering on a comedic character, you know, in, in the main guy that you've got, the Miles that you made. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's over the top, on drugs, fashion wise, isolated, and funny. He's genuinely funny, yeah. but maybe not on purpose. But and then all of a sudden the young Miles shows up in the form of that other cat. Yes. And then you sort of kind of try to assess like you know well what's the riff that got him from there to here? Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So what? So what <laughs> drove you? Like you know what's your relationship with that dude? 
Well, this was, you know, I grew up listening to his music, you know. Because your folks did? By my parents, yeah, digging through their albums and finding Porgy and Bess and yeah. going, oh my God, what is this? And then that leading me to, you know, Kind of Blue. And then, right. then just opening it up to right. him, to Cannonball, to John, yeah. you know, yeah. to, to the, all of the players. Yeah. But that's where it started when I was, you know, in fifth or sixth grade. Because I'm like, I've in the last few years, I've started to get into that those guys in that in that trip, you know, and try to sort of wrap my brain around jazz without really having a, a, a an essential understanding of music mm. theory or anything. Yeah. But you know, to either you've got a brain for jazz or you don't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like either it's going to lock in or it's going to make you go like, ah, oh, it's making me anxious. Yeah, exactly. People do tend to get anxious yeah. sometimes about but it. But like for me, it's just almost like riddling. You know, it goes on, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, right. For me, yeah. So when when entering, and I know this is probably a, an old uh, old news for you, but like you know, to to take on that that t- the subject of that guy, mm-hmm. I mean, what was the spark? Well, I was not, I wasn't gunning for that. You know, I know a lot of times people are asked, actors are asked, like, is there some guy that you're trying to play or some woman yeah. that you really want to do or some project that you can't that you're dying to do. He was not on my radar huh. other than being some a musician that I was in love with and whose music I had grown up on. Right. Um but it, it kept bubbling up. Uh-huh. It kept being put in front of me in different ways from really? different people mentioning it and going, "You know what you should do." And it well, just could, just out of nowhere? Just kind of out of nowhere a bunch of times. Huh. And then I was working with another uh a couple of writers on another project trying to get it done. And um had auditioned for something and the writers the writers mentioned it and they said, Oh, we're working on this with the family. Uh we're actually trying to write this with the family. And, the Miles uh, Davis. Mm-hmm, the Miles Davis biopic. And uh you should think about doing it. And I was like, Well, I don't wanna I don't really like biopics. I don't wanna do kind right. of the right. traditional cradle to grave kind of bio but that's just kinda of corny. I don't want to do that. It's hard to do that. I just that. don't think there yeah. you where you could take three minutes in each It's each weird. I just and, I just acted in the Aretha Franklin one. Mm-hmm. But but it was smart. Because they went from they it ends at at seventy two and that's a smart way to do it yeah yeah just take that mo- take right. try to take a moment and explode the moment as right. opposed to and that's what I was trying to do with the movie like take this two days in time where he's stuck in this place yeah like, am I gonna is he ever gonna get out of this place <laughs> um, yeah so I it I was actually watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Miles was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And his nephew, Vince Wilburn, who's one of the producers on the thing, yeah. was interviewed and they said, are you ever going to do a movie about his life? And he said, yeah, and Don Cheadle's going to play him. <laughs> yeah, you, but you had no idea. <laughs> no, I wasn't going <laughs> to for that. And then it started coming in and people started, you know, it started, well, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? I say, I'm not, I'm not. I, he just made a proclamation. Mm. I, I haven't even met him or talked to him. Yeah. So then we met and got together and they sort of pitched their ideas for the movie and they were all kind of standard yeah. biopics and I just wasn't interested. And, right. And by the time I was almost at my house leaving yeah. the meeting, I thought, well, nobody's going to do it the way I want to do it unless I do it. Yeah. And as I, and I called him back and he was saying, I was about to call you and say, nobody can do the thing that you're talking about doing unless you do it. And I said, yeah, that's what I think it's going to be. <laughs> and then a short 10 years later. Yeah, it happened. Now, was the family on board? Absolutely. Oh, see, so they dug it. And that, what was the... I mean, I'm not saying like there was a slam dunk. They were like in. I mean, there was definitely a come to Jesus, come to Don's trailer on House of Lies set and be like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, or after they saw the script, you mean? They were like going, what is this going to be? What are you really trying to do? And how can you not include this? And how can you not include that? And how can you not include that? And I was like, I get it. And this is your, your uncle, your father. This is, you know... 
I ultimately want you guys to be down with this take. Right. And if you're not, that's fine. I'll walk away from it. We don't have to do it. Right. I said, but I don't think that a mo- any movie is going to be his legacy. Any movie right. is going to be what his he, library. His any legacy movie is, is gonna barely, be you know, he's his barely life. his legacy. It's a very difficult character. I'm saying I wanted the music and the expression, like just exactly how you laid it out. That yeah. was my intention with it. I said, I want to make a movie in the spirit of Miles Davis. Yeah. I want to make a movie that feels like him, not just a movie that's about what he did, A, B, C, D, E, right. I want to yeah. like go, this is what it feels like to be in that expression. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, that, and and that, that era that you picked is the best because it's like this, he's jacked up. Oh, He's out of his mind. He may never come. He may never play again. He cannot play. <laughs> Yeah. Vince said the first time after that period, yeah. when he heard Miles play, that's that scene at the end when he's playing. He said he couldn't produce sound, and he said it. He just cried like a baby. Uh, and Miles looked at him like, "Don't fucking cry, you know, like don't, <laughs> yeah, pity me." Right. And what did, what was the record that pulled him out of that? He did Man with the Horn. Uh, that was his first thing out. And then he went on that We Want Miles tour. That's when I actually saw Miles Davis first. How, oh, so how was that? Crazy. Saw him in Red Rocks. So that was when the horn was way out there. He had kind of, you know, he was fucking with it. with the Playing down with the wah-wah yeah, yeah, pedal yeah, right, and right, all that yeah. stuff. But I mean, the wah-wah he had introduced in the 60s. Right. But he was, it was a, it was that band that was just Mike Stern mm. and, and Harvey Mason and, and uh, an, a, another Bill Evans, not that Bill Evans, but the Bill Evans played. Uh, was what, Marcus sax, Allen? Marcus was Miller. Mil- Miller? Is yeah. His name? Not, yeah. Yeah. I saw Marcus Miller do uh, an evening of miles at uh, Lincoln Center recently of Electric Miles. Uh-huh. It's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, he and Marcus were very close collaborators. Yeah, and two two and and, and I don't see a lot a lot of the a lot of jazz, but what I love about it, uh, watching jazz like if you get a bunch of guys up there and they're doing this thing and you got a few different horn players and they're laying down the bass of 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 a Miles riff is that like there's no other music where a dude will step up and do his thing. And get out there. Yeah. And other dudes are just standing around kind of looking at their horn. Kind of waiting. <laughs> yeah. And this guy's like in outer space. Yeah. And they're kind of like, you know, fucking around and just kind of like looking at him. They... Well, that's so Miles-esque, right? Yeah, like, right. I mean, he used to let Coltrane solo for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And they would be like, why are you letting this dude go? Why are you letting him do that? Miles would be like, he's looking for something. He's just searching for something. Let him go, man. Oh my God, it's so wild! Because I've been listening to him too lately. Oh, I mean that's. But he did get so far out there. Yes, he did. Right? Yeah. Because I I never put it together. Thelonious Monk, I think, really opened him up. He said Miles started it, but when he started playing, when he Monk just let him go like bananas. It's so weird because he, like he stopped the dope early on, like uh, Coltrane did. Like you know, early he was well, like, that was I'm a done huge with fight with between him and Miles. That's yeah. why Miles kicked him out of his band. For the dope, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I watched that documentary, and then like, and then he goes on to sort of like, all right, if there's no dope, and I got to get there, spirit, I'm God, go, right? I'm going way out on one, right? And, and some of that, some of the the concert footage of him, you know, towards the end of his life, he was it's out there, man. Yeah. Like you really got to be on board to hold on to that. I mean, in the amount of music that these guys have, yeah, you know, the amount of it's classical music. On the fly. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like being able to yeah. play these changes 
in you know milliseconds it's crazy and bring all of that music in quoting classical they can quote classical stuff yeah. when they're playing it they're like yeah. yeah i got all the classical shit i grew up playing all that shit. right yeah that's what we that's how i learned that's how i know this yeah yeah because some people that when i was doing this and yeah. now when you talk about miles yeah they don't know miles pre the electric stuff they don't know the bebop shit? they don't know any of that stuff oh, that's and then there are other guys who are like that's when we stopped when he went electric mm-hmm. that's when we got mm-hmm. off the bus mm-hmm. so it's it's a very bifurcated sometimes sort of miles fan base out there uh-huh. it's a lot of death metal dudes know oh, yeah quote miles sure you know, know oh, all yeah. of his shit yeah i bet from that moment on they don't the really electric. fuck with the like yeah right. from the electric on yeah. they're like whoa that's when i really like miles davis so when you when you're out here at cal art and you're, you know, you're blowing your mind. You're, you're learning how to, you know, uh, stage combat, tai chi, mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew about Uta Hagen going in. But was there a, a wh- who was the teacher there? What was the basis of your acting education? Well, all of my, inst- all of the instructors there did, you know, mm-hmm. did both. A lot of the instructors would actually, you know, direct as well. Okay. Um, so everyone was involved. There yeah, was like everyone's a, involved. Real conservatory. Lou Palter, Lou Florimonte, Libby Apple. You know, they still like, out there. No. Do you go out there ever I, and I do go out there. Some, I'm, a, I'm on the board, so I go. Oh, to you, oh some, okay. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I loved the school. I loved the conservatory nature of it. I loved the just being completely consumed by it. You know, all day, all, all no, no day. other thing. You didn't need to learn anything all else. All day. I mean, I wish I had taken advantage of everything that the school had to offer. Not that there was a ton of time to do it. Yeah. But you know, and not that even at that time did they have any real interdisciplinary sort of programs. You yeah. Know? Everyone was sort of balkanized and the only thing that they did right but it would have been great it would have been great to go back there and really get into the music program you know right. they have a world music festival every year that's like mind-blowing yeah you know and then the dance school is amazing and yeah wow alvin ailey comes through and you know it's just you just there's so many things happening at that school at any given moment i don't take in enough dance do you not enough no but i take in some yeah I, I don't, it's like, it's, it's a whole other world. All these things are this other world, but it's yeah. so, it's so vital and makes, when you watch it, you get moved. You don't even yeah. know why you get moved. Yeah. Cause I think at that level, <laughs> yeah. when you see, when you see professionals doing it yeah. at that level, yeah. it's all kind of, it's not the same thing by any means. I'm not saying that visual art is the same thing as dancing and yeah, dance yeah, the same yeah. thing as acting, but when people are at their highest sort of, you yeah, know, yeah. The apotheosis yeah, of whatever great. they're doing, yeah, yeah, it they're, just translates. You just course. feel it. That, yeah, they've, they've done the work. They've paid the dues. And now they are an instrument of whatever it is they are doing. That's right. Yeah. And they're can trust giving it. it to you. Exactly. Yeah, and you can feel it. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's something to be said about that because there's a lot of fucking amateurs around. 100. <laughs> <laughs> Let's name them one by one. Yeah. Let's start it's with a long a. list. Hold on, let me just get, let me just open Twitter. So, but so when do you, so once you finish school out there, you just come to LA. Yep, I graduated in '86. I was working. I had started working in '85 though. I'd actually gotten a gig before I got out of school. How did that happen? Did someone come looking? It happened because my classmate yeah. in my second year um is jesse borrego yeah who was on fame and he got a tv show? on fame the tv show and yeah. he got on fame because he went to an open call uh, and now about three thousand people they picked him and nia long not nia long sorry nia peoples uh-huh um and we took him to the audition you drove out there we all went you know oh, we yeah. were all gonna bum rush it we're like okay well let's do this yeah. so we all went down and 
Jesse was like, Don, sing first. Don't dance first. You're a better singer. You know, you can sing. Don't dance. Yeah. And I danced first, and I didn't get it. But he, he, <laughs> so we get back to CalArts. I was like, how'd it go? He's like, yeah, it's all right. I don't know. Pretty good. Yeah. So the next morning, we wake up, and his picture's on the news. Really? They have a Polaroid of him <laughs> yeah. on the news. They're yeah. like, we're looking for this guy. Yeah. Because oh, really? they, they just took he Polaroids. He didn't put his, he, all he put on was like, Jesse. He like, didn't put a name. He didn't put anything. So, you know, we saw him in class. Like, your picture was on the news. Like looking a for missing you. person? Yeah. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah. said, no, someone's, lo- they're looking for you on the news. <laughs> yeah. So he finally, you know, we're, our phone rings, we're all sweet mates. Yeah. And the phone rings, I pick it up. He's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, cool. He hangs up. He's like, ah, I got the job. Wow. He's like, you got what job? He's like, fame. I got the fame job. We're like, are you serious? Oh, man. So yeah. we, he goes, yeah, I got to go down and sign papers and I meet an agent and I guess it's on. Yeah. So we have to go to class and we're standing in class doing our like, and looking at each other like, why are we doing this? <laughs> he just got out. He just bounced. Yeah, right. He's out. Yeah. And so he left and he, so, but he still like didn't have a car, didn't have a ride. So we're still, all of us were very, at, at my, my friends at school, all of us, we were really, really tight and yeah. kind of went anywhere, everywhere together. But it's interesting. So, it, you know, it, there is that moment of sort of like, you know, that's what you want to do. You know, he got the job and, and you're doing your training, mm-hmm. but, but it, it is, there was never any, in your mind, there was never anything like a lofty pursuit like you know i don't want to yeah, do tv or sure. i'm a theater guy yeah. or what? oh yeah definitely okay yeah i mean we and and the school discouraged it i i think rightly so during they did not want you going down to la to, to try audition. to book auditions that's or, why they built the school out there yeah, it's all the way up there it's in saugus <laughs> don't go down there yeah yeah um but no, I yeah, absolutely. I'll never do a commercial. I don't want to do TV. I want to do theater. And it's so wild, right? Yeah, and I did. I mean, I I used to get, when I first met when I first had agents who were his agents uh-huh. because when they met us, they were like, well, "You guys are all great." I so yeah, what is it, what is the jump of that story? So like, so we took him down. Yeah. He we went to meet an agent. The yeah. agent wasn't there. Yeah, when at the appointment time, so we were leaving. Yeah, as we were leaving, he and I and another friend of mine, Patrick, were like. No fake fighting in the in the court, doing like our stage combat shit yeah, outside yeah. around the fountains on Nine Thousand Sunset. Yeah, and she's like banging on the window, like you know the graduate. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave, don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> she comes down, and because I think because she came down and yeah. she was outside and she was like kind of in our environment and how we were, we weren't all tight. And right, how we would have all been probably if we oh, right, been up in the right. room and all nervous. So she showed up and you guys had left her we and she saw you being in that thing. Yeah, she's yeah. like, you guys. You, this is a vibe. You guys are great. I want to represent all of you. No shit. And we're like, okay. Yeah. So I went back to school. Jesse went and did the show, and they shot in New York for a summer. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York that same summer working at a, a camp in Scarsdale, working at like a kid's camp. I was teaching. a counselor at a kid's camp. Uh, drama teaching? No, just a just camp counselor. How the hell did that happen? Because my friend was like, I can get you a camp counselor gig in New York. You want to spend a summer in New York? I was like, sure. Whatever. The Jewish camp? No, I don't think it was oh, a Jewish no. camp. Okay. Um, <laughs> although they did call me... No. Uh, um, so, <laughs> but um, so I saw him in New York and he yeah. goes, you haven't called Kay. You haven't called our agent. Mm. She's been trying to put you and stuff. I was like, oh, I didn't think she was serious. He goes, yeah, she was serious. It's <laughs> like, oh, I, I'll call her when I get back to LA. So she, I was just sort of her pocket client uh-huh. and me and a couple other people that yeah. were, were just, and she just started sending us out and then we started 
get booking shit. But you did you didn't do commercials? Is that what you're gonna say? The first commercial I ever got yeah. was an AT and T commercial. Sure. Um, and it was one where a kid was on the phone and his parents called and he's in college and he's frantically searching around and they're going, how's it going in school? And he's acting like they can't hear him because yeah. the connection is bad. Right. And he's like, oh, you, you can't hear me? And that was AT&T commercial. Right. Sure. So I'm like, boom, I booked it. I'm headed out to go shoot it. Yeah. The payphone in the lobby of the dorm rings, yeah. which could be for anybody in the entire dorm. Sure. I just have this sick feeling like <laughs> it's for me. Yeah. So I pick up the phone, yeah. and it's my agent. She's yeah. like, oh, so glad you answered. I said, what? She goes, they don't want to use you for the commercial. <sighs> I said, why not? She goes, they don't want to portray a black kid as failing out of school. Uh, I said, so they're going to fire the black kid? <laughs> Can't they? <laughs> I understand, but it seems kind of counterintuitive if they're trying to hurt black people to hurt this black people. Yeah. But uh, that was the first com- the first commercial I got, and then I never did a commercial for many. many isn't years. it weird how th- things have shifted around people's uh, uh, perception of selling out? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange thing because I, I think I don't know. I, I think we're roughly the same age, probably. Yeah, Maybe you're 54. a little younger. I'm fifty six, but there certainly was a time as, as a as a as a talent or an artist or whatever early on where you're like, fuck that shit, man. Oh, for sure. Punk rock all the way, no selling out. Yeah. But now it's like people will fucking do anything yeah. as long as they look all right. I uh, Yeah. Right? Like, you know, if they can transcend the bullshit and mm-hmm. make it funny or make it cute, mm-hmm. you know, they're game yeah. to do whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but it happened. I think the sort of being platform agnostic helped all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, once mm-hmm. movie actors were doing TV shows and once- I think that's true, commercials, yeah. They're like, oh, so- because remember when stars would sneak off to Japan? Absolutely. To do, to yeah. do commercials? Yeah. And you'd see these weird commercials of That's like right. you know, big movie stars selling yogurt. Yeah, like, exactly. What the fuck? Yeah. Hey, that guy just made a billion dollars in yeah. Japan. Would you do it out here? Hell, Hell no. I'm not no, man. Fucking... There's no place to hide now. Yeah. Can't hide. No, exactly. So what was the first role? The first role I ever got was to play Juicy Burger Worker oh. in the movie Moving Violations. Oh, mm-hmm. Juicy Burger. Juicy Burger Worker. Burger, Juicy Burger Worker. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that movie. You didn't? I'm sorry, man. I I was going to go back and watch all your movies. But no, this was fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just walk out. <laughs> fuck I, you. I, fuck I, your I, podcast. No, man, I'll see. I'll watch it now. We'll watch it together. Please don't. No, we'll watch it together. Please don't watch that movie. Can you watch it? No, I don't watch anything I'm in ever. I mean, if I have to, sometimes I'm, uh, you know, to look at cuts and things like that. But I, I don't, I don't enjoy it. No. Well, what, 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 what does it make you feel? Are you the kind of guy that like you watch yourself and you feel your, you can go back into that moment and mm-hmm. then you rejudge the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not just a general like, oh, I suck. It's just sort of like, I could have hit oh, a little hard. Why did, and why did they pick that take? <laughs> yeah. All of that. But you were in Colors. I was. Was that like, that was, it was a, I can't remember the, the role, but it wasn't huge, Rocket. right? Rocket. Mm-hmm. One of the gang guys? Yeah. And that was Dennis Hopper? He was pivotal. Pivotal gang guy. Yes. Okay. But Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper. Directed it. He did. I remember being very excited and about Haskell that And Haskell Wexler shot it. Wow. Yeah. And I remember being very excited to see Hopper direct again. So you're working with Penn mm-hmm. and you got to, now when, when you're like that, he's like how, he's not, he's my age. He's not that older than yeah. us. No. But he was the shit, right? For yeah. a long time. We, you know, and we were, because he was in character all the time, there had been some things where we were like, 
Sean had like roughed the dude up for real, kind of on set and in character. Mm. Uh, and he had done, and he and Robert, there was a scene where my friend has played high top, Glenn Plummer played high top, mm. and they get in a fight and there was some real shit that happened in the fight. We were just like waiting for that to happen because we were just going to all jump him if something happened. Oh, really? We were like, oh, it's on if this dude does it. Because like three of my friends were in the movie and we're like, we're going to fuck this dude up. If so shit all in character though? Sure. We were going to be like, we're in character too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. It's method shit. Yeah, we were all in yeah. character. We were just all like, beat shit out of you. Shot you in character. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a learning curve? Were you like nervous about it? Uh, <laughs> like working with directors, like you, no, you know. I was working with the gangbangers. I wasn't worried about the directors yeah, and the actors. Right. I was like, I'm working with gangbangers for real gang members, like that would really gangbang on you for real. So they they, they used the real dudes in that yeah. movie. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I remember one of the, one of the guys in my uh, in my gang. His name was J Bone. I don't know if Jeffrey's still around. I hope he is. But uh, the first day. Mm. We, I get in my wardrobe. I'm sitting out on this bench. We're like just getting ready, getting dressed to do this big group scene. Yeah. So I'm sitting by myself, just trying to be in character, trying to figure this shit out. And I see this dude across the parking lot, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and he looks at me like, "Oh, you just gonna you gonna just stare at me?" Mm. And he walks across the parking lot, staring at me. And I'm like, "Oh, this is a real one." Yeah. And I'm supposed to be the head of the gang. I can't really punk out right now. Right. This is a this is a moment that's really going to be telling about how this is going to go. <laughs> so he walks all the way up to me. He's like, "What's up, Cuz?" I was like, "What's up?" He's like, "What set you from?" I said, "Oh, I'm an I'm an actor. I'm an, I'm an, I'm not a gangbanger. I'm an actor." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "All right, so let's see what the fuck was up." I was like, and he walked away. I was like, "Fuck, day one, day one." <laughs> so then. <laughs> We have a scene. Oh my god! Yeah, this is day one. So then we have a scene in the van where I'm supposed to tell him we do a drive-by on this blood, and they're all hooray in the back, and I'm supposed to tell them to shut the fuck up because mm. we're getting ready to do this thing. <laughs> yeah. So we rehearsed it. I'm like, shut the fuck up. So, and it's late in the morning. You know, it's late. We're punched. Everybody's like tired. We want to go home. It's we're we are though we're using this gang that we're using. Yeah. We're in another gang's neighborhood. It's a whole thing. The locations, people had no sensitivity to where we were crossing lines, none of that shit. Was, was, do you find that, well, that's a, just a question about the director. Do you think Hopper was encouraging the chaos? No. Okay. Hell no. Okay, all right. No, no. Nobody really, once we realized, it was like, oh, this is beef. This could yeah. really be a problem. Yeah. And we were like, what's up, j And he's like, we in, you know, we in them Denver Lanes area. We're not supposed to be out here right now. I was like, oh. So anyway, we're doing the scene, and I tell him to shut the fuck up. And then he starts laughing. He's like, shut the, man, you sound soft as fuck. Shut the fuck up. You sound like a little bitch. Shut the fuck up. Nigga, please. And so I was like, no, for real, Javon, shut the fuck up because we have to do this. He was like, what? And he leans, he's in the back seat and yeah. he leans up in my ear. He's like, I'll smoke you in this fucking car right now, cuz. Think I give a fuck about this movie? I'll kill you right now. I was like, oh, and he, and I'm like, I know he's good for it. I know he's not just talking shit. <laughs> yeah. He probably would do it. Right. Everybody gets quiet in the car. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, Javon, it's my line. I'm on a set. Yeah. We're, you're in a movie. I have to say this. He's like, say it again. See what happens. I dare you, nigga. Say it again. Like, I, it's this, I have to say it. <laughs> what are you talking about? So we go back. Action. 
cut, Don, what's up? You didn't say the line. I'm like, no, it's it's, it's okay. Go back. He's laughing. He's like, yeah, that's right. You better not say it. I'm like, we're going to have to say it. So we do it one more time and I kind of get it out. Yeah. And he doesn't say anything and he's getting out of the car. He's like, you punk motherfucker. You better be off the set before I get out of my costume. I'm like, God damn, I'm going to get killed on a movie set. <laughs> Your second movie. <laughs> second movie. I'm going to lose my life saying a line that I have to say in yeah. the movie. Yeah. So I hustle off the set. But after that, I think because I said it, yeah. he was like, Oh, yeah? You're all right, man. You're oh, cool. God. He just had to sweat me. Yeah. And then w- w- another day, he takes my call sheet. Yeah. He's like, let me see your call sheet. I give him the call sheet. He starts walking toward this alley. Yeah. I'm like, where are you going, Jay? He's like, just kind of gesturing me, like, follow me. I'm like, oh, man, it's the okie doke. It's about to go down in the alley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we go in the alley, and there's this older black lady standing there, dressed like in church clothes and everything. He's like, it's my mom's, man. <laughs> like, oh, hello, Mrs. Washington. How are you? Nice yeah. to meet you. And he's like, yeah, I just wanted you to meet my mom. He's like, that's it. Go on. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> He couldn't just say, I, come meet my yeah, mom. Yeah, he had yeah, to like, yeah. Everything's got to be yeah. hard. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. So that's sort of a, that's an interesting entry. Into yeah, film, trial by fire. Yeah, yeah for sure. The crucible. And then you just, you kept, you just kept going, man. And so when do you think that there was the, the point was where everybody knew who you were? Was that from Devil in the Blue Dress? Or? I don't know if that's happening yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can still roll around pretty incognito. Well, that's a good thing. No, I love it. Please. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Just to be able to work like you do, have the respect that you do. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe we're that, supposed dude? to change the subject. Whoa. We just, if everybody listening, we just went black. But the, but not all of it went black. It was the lights because it, it. Oh, you were still up and going. Well, for some reason, the computer and shit was still on, but the mics went down yeah, the and mics. the lights went off. Yeah, but Pol- the box is in here. That's some weird shit. Poltergeist. Huh. So, oh, but we were talking about. <laughs> but should we change the subject? Is that a sign? Is well, that... <laughs> we talk. We were even talking about being able know. to be incognito, Dude. to be able to have a life. Maybe that's the word you're not supposed to say. <laughs> that was it. It's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> Maybe my phone did it. I don't even know what my phone does. <laughs> Shut off everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like when you ever turn on Siri and you don't know it. And yeah. It's all of a sudden talk to you. That yeah, was that's it. not good. It just, uh, I just told it to shut the lights off in every <laughs> in the house. Uh, but no, but that's a that's a. But I think that because I re, I actually did watch uh, Devil in a Blue Dress the mm-hmm. other night mm-hmm. uh, because I like uh, people I've talked to they're like that was the the first time I remember that dude. Right. I mean, right? I think I got a lot of that. I think that's. I think people said that. I think Boogie Nights. Yeah. Um, there were a oh, few nights, sort man. of yeah yeah things kind of in a row. That, and depending on who you were, you know, it's like for some it was picket fences. For some people it was because you depends. but you never. You, so that was the other thing too. Like you'll do TV. You don't. It's like oh, right yeah. from the beginning, back and forth, yeah. whatever comes. If the role's good, you'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. And I used to like I was saying earlier. I used to drive my agents when I realized I had agents yeah. crazy because the first few years that I was in LA during pilot season, I left to go do theater. Yeah. And they were like, what are you doing? This is the height of when we can get you a gig. I was like, but there's this great role. What was it? In this play. Well, I was working a lot with um, with Joanne Acolytus. Yeah. Uh, and worked at the Guthrie with her, worked at the Public. Yeah. Worked at, at the Goodman in Chicago. So being a theater baby, 
these were all, you know, sort of the crown jewels of places that sure. I wanted to work. Yeah. As an actor. So I'm like, I'm not going to say no to going to work at the public. Right. To maybe get a pilot on some show that it's probably going to be shitty. Isn't that true, though? Like, isn't that weird once you realize that, that you're going to go out and read for these pilots and you're going to go spend five minutes in a room with a bunch of suits and then you're going to you know, have to go back again three or four times for three weeks of <laughs> bullshit and then not get something yeah. where you can be on stage doing the thing? That I love to yeah. do. Yeah, I was like, I don't, that doesn't even make sense to me. They're like, well, this is the grind. This is what it is. You have to do that. I was like, well, I'll get to it. I don't think Hollywood's going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back in what, three months, but what, I'm going to go do this. Do you remember what play it was? <laughs> Did Cymbeline at the Public. Yeah. Uh, Tis Pity She's a Horror at the Goodman. Oh, at the Guthrie, I did a, a show called Leon and Lenz, Bushner play. Yeah. Um, so that was so you were really doing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I worked a bunch at another small theater in Minneapolis called Mixed Blood that yeah. I just loved. So I just kept going back there and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and all during like the busy, busy season. But... I, I drive across, you know, I drive from here to Minneapolis by myself, another really sort of solo journey. This like I, I just loved every aspect of that that time of my life. Yeah. And I didn't like, have to make any money. You know, if I made $500 a week, I was like, that's good. Well it's, well, it's nice. I think that's probably why you're the actor you are in the sense that, like, you know, you didn't pollute your brain with the sort of, like, putting the ambition over the craft do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just sort of like, fuck it, I'll take, let's just work, man. Yeah. Like, you really appreciate it. I think it seems like just your character in the sense of who you are, it's like with golf, you know, to sort of like, to 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 focus on like, I'm going to drive out, I got, I'm working the thing, I'm on my own, looking at the stuff. Yeah. Going to show looking up. Looking at me. Yeah. yeah. Do you, when you go to the theater for the first time, do you go walk around? Oh, yeah. The stage. It's the best, right? It is the best. It's the best. When I do stand-up, man, like like the sound check, when you just walk out. Right. Some, sometimes I'll have them like play some music on the system and just sit there by myself yeah. and listen to the music. No, there's nothing like a theater. Oh, it's the There's best. nothing like a theater. Real theater. The magic that happens in it's there. It's the best. But Boogie Nights, like, you bring up Boogie Nights, and, like, that moment where you're sitting there with that Rick James wig on. <laughs> That's a great moment. <laughs> that was a great moment. That was a great directing moment for Paul. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Why, what because he he's like, okay, so we're sitting, he goes, okay, I'm in this spot. He goes, all right, so in this take, you're just kind of sitting there, just, like, out of your element, like, second-guessing this look. And he goes, I just, I, I, I want you to just don't do anything. Just do nothing. Yeah. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. So I do it, and he goes, cuts. He comes over, he goes, that take you were kind of doing nothing? Yeah. I just want nothing. Like, just a blank. I just want you to be nothing. Just nothing. Why? I was like, be nothing. He's like, yeah, just nothing. So he walks off. I'm going, be nothing? What is he talking about? Be nothing. I'm sitting there trying to figure out what that means, and he's like, cut. Thank you. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, got it. I was like, oh, you little master, you. And that's how it read, just dude. threw a Zen koan to me. And I was like, it just read like, yeah, exactly. Like, there's just... Yeah, and it was... <laughs> it was so, like... Vapid. It was sad, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, it was that moment where you're like, this guy doesn't know who he is. <laughs> he has no idea that you really thought that that's what you should wear. You really thought that's what you should wear. I know. You're like, I, you know what? This one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. Poor uh, Buck. Oh, man. I was on the phone. We were talking about you coming over, and I just said, uh, 
Oh, is that for the Christmas? <laughs> for the Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another oh. horrible moment. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> and then like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just worked with that guy, that stunt dude who shoots, who starts it all off, who's the dude sitting at the counter who pulls the gun and shoots the guy. Yeah. In a... In a Black Monday, it's funny. Oh, you did? Yeah, he was. He's a big stunt dude. Oh, that's those guys are wild. I've interviewed yeah, yeah. a couple of them. Yeah, they're yeah. But like Paul Thomas Anderson, like uh, I've interviewed that dude. <laughs> it's so funny, man, because he's great. He's great, but like you know, I never heard him talk. I didn't know who he was, and oh, I knew who he was. I loved his movies, mm-hmm. but I, I just had this idea that he was some like brooding dark genius. Yeah. But he's just valley goofball. Yeah, he's yeah. just like this, yeah, and he. He, I couldn't believe it. No, he's he's amazing. And Carl introduced him to me, Carl Franklin, who directed Devil in a Blue Dress. Yeah. And he was in that, because that year I think I did three or four movies. I, I may have done three or four movies. I don't remember. Yeah. Did Rosewood that same year and, and Boogie Nights and something else. That was a that that year I think was sort of a watershed kind mm-hmm, of year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just quit. Your agents must have been happy that you locked into that shit. Well, right? I was doing picket fences for a year for three years before that, and then I qu- I just quit the show because I didn't like the show, and they yeah. were like they were not happy about that. Right, <laughs> just yeah. like you're quitting a series that you're locked you know, in job. I was like, I just don't dig it. I just yeah. think there's something else I'm going to do. Yeah, I and, do I, it. and I could be here for the rest of my life. I don't want to do this. Right, twelfth. <laughs> I'm the twelfth person in the yeah. cast, which means a I was the heart of the movie, which ugh, it's the heart of the show. Which yeah. don't make me the heart of the show. I hate that. Yeah. And secondly, I'm the dude that's sort of like there would be so many days where they just wouldn't get to me, and I had sat in the trailer for that's the twelve worst. hours, just wanting to blow my head off. Thank God I was writing, or yeah. I would have just killed myself. Yeah, it's weird. You took you 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 go inward with the anger. I just get mad at whoever the ad. <laughs> the, the fucking, you know, whoever is taking up the time, the director, like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, the director's like, I don't know. I'm here. I'll not. I won't be here next week. They just right, drop right. me into this shit. Right, right, right. We're but, trying to get lit. Yeah. How long does that take? <laughs> Talk to the DP. <laughs> I would just write. So yeah. I wrote a play, and I just spent the time just writing. So, oh, really? So they produced a lot of your own plays and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I did that one at that time. Oh, which one was that? Uh, it was a play nobody would ever, nobody oh, really? ever saw. It was called Groomed. We actually performed it at the John Anson Ford Theater. It was a staged reading. Yeah. It, it turned into a play because the actors decided, like, no, we're going to actually get off book and do this. I was like, fuck. Wow. It was not the play. So once the lead actor did it, yeah. kind of threw down the gauntlet, yeah. and then all the other actors were like, well, we're not going to not be, if he's not on book, we're, if, I'm not going to be on book. And the ego started jumping out, yeah, and then yeah, the lighting yeah. person was like, well, if they're going to do all that, I'm going to throw some gels in the shit and some gobos. And the person was like, well, I'm going to build a set if you guys are going to do all that. And it turned into a play. Wow. Which was, which was really great. That must have been wild to watch it that. It was wild. So, that, I mean, because all that stuff kind of informs, right? Because, I mean, like when you did the Miles movie, I don't know how much you, other ones you directed before that, but that thing's got a full vision. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you hired the right folks. You knew what you wanted to see. Whoever your DP was and your yeah. set deck. Roberto Schaefer. Yeah. Fucking nailed it. Yeah. It's his own world. Yeah. You know, slightly heightened. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Exactly. But, uh, all right, yeah. So, yeah, you were busy. Rosewood, Boogie Nights, Out of Sight. Oh, yeah. Those right? were all really close to each other. Right, the Rat Pack. Sammy Davis. What compelled you to do that movie? Um, well, the same thing that compels me to do any of them. Just uh-huh. the, the part was great. I liked the part. I liked the script. I liked the cast. That was another interesting. I don't know if I'd have any that aren't interesting, but 
that one I didn't. I was offered the part, and they never. The script had never really dealt with yeah Sammy's own awareness of the racism. Uh huh. It just sort of glossed over that. And I was like, you can't have him not be aware of not just the racism that exists outside, but what he's dealing with with his own friends inside the Rat Pack. You know, the kind yeah. of ribbing that they do and the kind of ways that they talk shit about him. It's like, that was nowhere in the script about right. how Sammy felt about that. And you read his autobiographies, and it's nowhere in that. He never really talks about it. Well, what was the assumption? I, I was like, I don't care. I'm sh- I'm, he has to. When I watch the routines, yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at him like, nah, come on. You can't be a black man up there and then picking you up and talking about this being an award from the NAACP and you not feeling some kind of way about it some uh-huh, nights. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. can we not do that joke tonight? You know, can we right. not, when I look right. out and all these yeah. black people are in the audience, like, you pick me up and... Especially at that time, you know, because this shit was changing, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. And he mm. was at the sharp, you know, edge of the, mm-hmm. the spear about it. So I said, I kind of don't, I, this has to be a part of the script or I don't, I don't want to do this. This has to be in there. So... It wasn't addressed. It wasn't addressed. And like two weeks before I got a draft and it was in there, I said, okay, I'll do it. And they're like, great. Now you have to do a gun less, gun twirling lessons, mm-hmm. drum lessons, trumpet lessons, tap lessons. You have to sing on this thing. I was like, oh shit, I got two weeks to like get ready yeah. for this. Which, wow. Holy shit. Yeah, it was cram, cram, cram. But I had the best teacher. Savion Glover was my tap instructor. Really? Yeah. And and could you do it? I could do it when I needed to for that, yeah. Isn't that weird when you, you've got that, you know, you can focus your talent? That's and, right. And, and that's you, some of that acting shit that we learned in school. That's right. kind of that, like, right. and let's go. Yeah. And it shows up and yep. you do it. Yep. And then two weeks later, you're I like, couldn't, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't remember how to do it at all. Just possessed. Yes, exactly. What did what, you come out of that with for yourself? Just a real appreciation of his talent. Oh, yeah, right? And how amazing, just being able to dig into all of his stuff, you know, doing the research on yeah. him and just, let, you talk about a talent. Right? Everything. Everything. It's crazy. At a high level. Yeah. It's really a, like a gifted dude. And and to hear them talk about, like, Sinatra, whenever he would introduce him, he's like, I'm about to bring this kid on stage and he's going to, you could just see, he's like, this kid, like, yeah. you think I can sing? He's like, you don't know shit about singing. You got to listen to this kid. He's going to hit some notes that are going to make you just. Well, it's interesting to know, like, when you really look at all those guys that that there was a sort of, uh, not one noteness to them, but they were so dug into their personalities that they were confining. Mm. Where, like, Sammy was, you know, he was Sammy, but it, it didn't confine him in any way no. to sing or dance or drum or whatever the fuck, be funny. I mean, it was, like, kind of... And sort of like you had to. I mean, I think that's something, too, that for that era, for yeah. a black man, a black woman especially, mm. you know, it's like you had to be 10 times as talented as anybody else you were standing. You had to be able to do everything right. to get half as far as right. a lot of those guys could get. Right. And and still be sort of like pigeonholed in a racist way. Yeah, you're still not going to get ahead. And take it. But, yeah. but also like take the joke. That's what I'm saying. That's what uh. I wanted to be. That's what wasn't in this. And ultimately what it turned out to be is just a moment. I said, we need. can I just have a moment where they can make the joke and I'm laughing, and then I turn around and just put a camera behind me to see how I really feel. And then I can come back and put the mask on again. And they did it? Yeah, we did it. Uh, and I was like, I just need stuff like that. 
I just need to show that this person is not completely obtuse and doesn't understand what he has the, the Faustian deal he has made right. to be able to do this and, right. and open the door for other people behind him, which is absolutely what he did. Mm. But that means you're going to take the brunt of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it was just, it's, it, it's been a Faustian deal still. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you, I've, I forgot you're in traffic. That is great. That's great. And Bullworthy work with the, that Beatty fella. Yeah, that, that must, dude. That must have been wild. He seems like an interesting, Very wild. interesting dude. Very interesting dude. And yeah. we shot that for, over, I mean, a year off yeah. and on for a year. Well, he means business, it seems. <clears throat> when he decides to direct something, it's like it's not. And nobody can tell him shit. And his deal specifically at that time, and it was maybe a poison pill left by the last, uh, the guy who ran 20th at that time. Yeah. He had a deal that he just had to write a treatment yeah. and turn it in. Yeah. And he could do whatever he wanted. Oh, wow. And I think they sort of left it. Like, oh, really? Deal like, with Warren. Because <laughs> he hated <laughs> the dude coming in. <laughs> yeah. And they used to call me yeah. and ask me what was going on. Because when the suits would show up on set, Warren would just stop. He just wouldn't shoot. Really? He'd just stand there. And they're like, what are you working on? He's like, I got some stuff. Wow. So you're going to shoot there? He's like, Not, no. And he didn't care. He would just stand around until they left. And as soon as they left, we'd start working again. It's so funny. I guess that dude's earned that. He's Hollywood, man. He was there at the beginning of the I mean, new thing. There's so many things that you realize that actually you can do whatever you want. <laughs> a lot of times you, people just if don't. If you have the balls yeah, to do it. If you right. fucking do yeah. it, stop me. But yeah, I thought that movie was good. I think, you know, it's like you definitely felt the point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So being part of these franchises, I mean, is there, I mean, it seems like the Oceans thing is fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like they all, everybody seems to be having a good time. So much fun, <laughs> and you know, people it, like Ocean's Twelve is one of the movies that people will just come up to me in my face. Is that and the Andy like, Garcia I one? I hate that. Oh God, I hated that second one. That one sucked. Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> well, they they don't. Can think I come watch whatever you're doing at your job and like critique? But it's but, like uh, they don't think they're gonna like they don't look at it in the same way you look. At it. Like they're just I don't know why people think they can do that, but they think you must feel the same way or that you have some distance from it or whatever. Or I don't give a shit what you think right right, you're not a real thing you're sort of a prop that that says stuff and walks around yeah but that yeah that was um jerry weintraub bless his soul was um you know produced that one really like old hollywood and yeah yeah we just were treated amazingly and everybody had their families over and that's nice it was nice to be able to have that experience and we were really sort of cordoned off i mean you know paparazzi is an italian word right we were we were in italy and they had to kind of give us an entire floor where nobody could come and then uh-huh. we had the roof and they would put a there was a bar up there and the, so real first class Hollywood treatment yeah nice it was great and what about these Marvel movies they're fun too yeah in different ways yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a different it's completely different obviously super yeah. technical and a but lot did you more. see that coming like you like, oh yeah. hell no I mean it's crazy I mean you like you're in you're one of the guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happened. And it's a great thing, right? Yeah. I don't watch them and I've been critical of them because it's not my thing. Yeah. But uh, so I haven't really seen any of them, but it seems like the people that are in them, it's like, you know, why the fuck wouldn't I do that? You know I mean? Yeah. I mean, and it's again, it's one of those things where we all, you know, we all really vibe each other mm-hmm. and have a great time around one another. Yeah. And there's so many of us, you know, <laughs> it's like. It's like being right. a troop. It's, it's, it, well, you know? it is. It's, it's crazy. It's like a theater troop. It's like its own little community. It is. And then like the, I guess the, you, it seems that, well, just from what I see publicly, that the, the, ho- the experience of Hotel Rwanda mm. kind of blew your mind to a point where 
it activated you on a level you probably didn't even know was in you. 100%. What did you know before you did the movie about the genocide? Very little. See, isn't that wild? Very little. Mm. And then I started to do the research and then, you know, saw the frontline piece on it, which was devastating. And just started meeting, you know, I met Paul Rusesa Begina who came out, who I portray in the movie, and I got to meet him. And just, yeah, getting into the story was, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about it. I only had cursory knowledge of it. And then it then it was, yeah, it took me to a completely different place. And then doing it and seeing the effect that it had on people whose stories hadn't been told mm. and people who you know the survivors of the genocide a lot of them were extras in the film Ugh. and i couldn't believe they wanted to be a part of it yeah and they were saying no we want it out we want the story to be known and it's important to us and we want to participate in it and it's a cathartic you know it's a healing for us in a way too uh to go through it oh, man it's um, just your neighbors yeah people you know right yeah well, that's that is somewhat emblematic of how these things go yeah. around the world. Uh-huh. It's very often your neighbor. It's very often people that you are commingling with in different communal situations, uh-huh. and then they've all of a sudden you're the other. other. That's right. Uh-huh. You've been otherized, and it's on. Yeah, the otherizing business. I, that's a that's a good word for it. Is mm-hmm. that your word? No, I yeah. can't take credit for it. But I, that's really what it is. Because we're seeing it everywhere now. Absolutely, everywhere. That's what you have to do in order to be able to do what you need to do. Dehumanizing them enough to you're pay. a thing. If I turn you into a thing, I can do anything I want. I to. can get rid of you. Yeah, yeah, and nobody's going to care. Yeah. So, how are you active now with that stuff? Well, I still uh, work with the Sentinel, mm-hmm. uh, where we. Uh, one of the things that we did at the time and are still doing is uh, there is a satellite that you know goes over that area in uh-huh. in Sudan in mm-hmm. Darfur, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were able to piggyback on that and capture images from what's happening in the border. Oh, and really? So when there are raids mm-hmm. and there are things, when there at that time there was nothing. There was we're just warehousing this material and trying to you know collect evidence in case there ever was a moment when, as has happened, Bashir is now going to The Hague to be tried for these crimes against humanity and for genocide. But at the time, that was not happening. We were trying to pressure uh, the the world community to act, and now it finally has. Yeah, years later, after, like, now all the information's in, CIA involvement, whatever the fuck was happening. A lot, everything was happening. You know, and they were our allies at one point, quote unquote, because right. we were getting intel from them about, you know, terrorism. Yeah. yeah. So it was a blind eye toward whatever you're doing to your citizens as long as we're getting information that we need to fight terrorism. Mm. Um, There's got to be some assets involved there, too. Can't, it's got to be something. It's all, yeah, I know, it's, it's all crazy. It's I mean, and, and then the, the main rebel leader then becomes the head of the, you know, the government. Yeah. And then, it's just all mixed up, and it and it again. This is not something that is unheard of when these incidents happen. There's always other actors involved yeah. that have their own agenda agendas, and they have a, and the people are always the, yeah. <laughs> the ones in the middle that are just getting wiped around and, yep. and, and bandied right. about. Yeah, there's a detachment on behalf of the power, right? Like you know, there's the immediacy of the the murdering. But then, you know, a couple, whoever else is involved, if there's enough detachment, it's just numbers, it don't matter. Yeah, and who steps into that void 
Yeah. Uh, once that once that yeah. bad guy's gone, now who are the good guys are coming in? Because it was a very and how long is it going to take before they go bad? <laughs> yeah, the good, good well, guys. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. I, I mean, that's the yeah. So trying to still figure out and to not be this sort of patriarchal and like we're going to tell you how to run your country and we're we have the best ideas for what to do. We went around. I was uh, George Clooney, myself, a uh, long distance runner named Tegla Larup, uh, um, Olympic runner, and uh, Joey Cheeks, who was a uh, speed skater. Mm-hmm. Went around during the height of this. We went to China. We went to Egypt. Talked to Prince Mubarak. Um, to try and say you have influence in this region, the Chinese had influence because they have deals with the, with the Sudanese people, uh, militaristic mm-hmm. deals with weapons and things like that, and oil. Yeah, and we thought the Arab nations would be able to put some pressure. Yeah, uh, but when we went, first of all, we were the highest level delegation that had ever gone to those areas about it, which is ridiculous. Two the actors, a- two actors, and two athletes were like the highest level delegation that had ever gone to try uh-huh. to get any. Uh, movement on it and both of the countries both of their leadership said to us who who are you to come in here and try to tell us mind your business anything america yeah about what to do you really want you guys think that you have a, a the the best track record on this to, to to preach from your yeah podium about what we should be doing to curb violence are you crazy did you even see that coming though where did that put you in a position of like sort of like what do i really know well we're we're like we're 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 not pushing back on that. Yeah, we're just saying that this is actually really happening. Yeah, you know, and we're not here to to represent or defend things that are happening with American interests. We're trying to talk about the people, right? That are here, and yeah. can you help the people? Right. And they're like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Basically, yeah. kick rocks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, go tell your tell your leadership to do something. And during the height of this as well. I was asked to testify uh, for the Senate with uh, John Prendergast and General Dallaire, who was in uh, Rwanda at the time. And he uh-huh. was the last UN general who stayed behind when everyone else fled and he wouldn't leave mm-hmm. um, to just talk about our experience in the area and what had happened and what we thought America, quote unquote, should do or what our government should do. Right. And I was called in to uh, meet with Condoleezza Rice because she heard I was coming. So yeah. the State Department's like, oh, Condoleezza Rice wants to talk to you. I was like, yeah. wow, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. I felt like what it felt. I didn't, I wasn't cool with it. Right. <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so I go sit outside her office yeah. and it's like being called to the principal's office. You know, I'm out there. I have to wait for a while. She, she pulls me in and she starts, you know, so Jindai Frazier was her head of African affairs yeah. and like, tell Don what's happening in the region. So she said a bunch of gobbledygook. I didn't really understand. Yeah. I was like, okay. And then she left and then she excused everybody and it was just me and her and a photographer. Yeah. And she said, okay, well, let me explain something to you, Don. She said, what's happening there? You know, on the border, there was a, when the Israeli soldiers, there was a couple of Israeli soldiers that were uh, taken um, between the border, between Lebanon. And do you remember when that happened? It was a big international, it was almost a huge international. We were like, we're going to go to war over this. A couple of Israeli soldiers were kidnapped. Yeah. and she said, we had to send, it's the UN, it's not us. We're not the problem with the genocide. It's the UN. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, that's like saying, it's my right, it's not me, it's my right, it's right. my right arm. Yeah. Um, she said, but they're the problems. Like, so when this incident, this international incident went down, we had to send special, we had to send a, a couple special envoys down there to push through all the red tape and all the bureaucracy. I was like, so you just said you couldn't do anything. And now you just yeah. told me that you 
I'm not saying this. I'm just listening because right. I want to leave. Right. You know? Yeah. And then she said, and all you activists out there, all you guys out there talking about George Bush needs to do more to stop the genocide in Darfur. George Bush can't do anything about that. You guys need to shut up. Wow. She said it like that? Kind of. <laughs> oh, man. Basically, knock it off. Did you feel like, that? was she scary or just were you like sort I of like, or was she just? felt like. I mean, she didn't say let's meet at a cafe. It wasn't like right, let right, me call right, and tell right, you that right. I was yeah. literally sitting at in the state, in the department. state department, right. and she was working in her official capacity. Yeah, to tell you to shut, shut up. up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, which I didn't. You of know, course. I went yeah. out and told yeah. that story at every book drive. I was like, if something happens to me, check Condi. You know, yeah, right. I, I am not suicidal. <laughs> 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 I didn't. I didn't get despondent and shoot myself in the back of the head in my driveway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it seems like all of the you, that that stuff really it has to do with you know people like you or people who are focused on the 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 issue to to go out and get shit done. I mean, I was talking to Tandy about working with events where with the women in the Congo. I mean, it's heavy shit, but yeah. you know they go down there and they create a system a, 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 a system of support of ways to you know that the community can start to. You know, you know, rebuild themselves. Yeah, and that's the best thing that we can do, I think, from our positions, is really shine the light on mm. and support people who have been doing the work for a long time mm. and attempt to, and as best we can with this platform, lend support right. to the communities that are dealing with and it. And bring know? attention to it. That's it. That's yeah. what we can do. We're yeah. not the experts. Of course. We're just saying these, these are the experts, right. though. These are the people who had intimately uh, 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 impacts and effects, and they are down there doing the work. Don't you know, I'm glad you put a mic in front of me and put a camera in front of me. Let's turn yeah. it to them. Yeah. You know, like and Brad. get them what they need. That's it. Yeah, that's what they all... They, when I, I can't stand when people <clears throat> condescend you know, Hollywood people or celebrities or the acting community for making political statements. It's like it, we're not assuming anything other than the fact that we can say something and be heard and draw attention to something that requires attention. That's it. Yeah, you know, we're not saying we're geniuses. No. We're not saying we're fucking, you know, experts. No, we're saying here's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real problem. And yeah, help and out. Please look over there and you guys do something. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, man. And then, you know, it's only getting harder and weirder and scarier. No diggity. So these last two big cable shows that you're doing, like I watched a a, a few, a bit of the the Black Monday. It's pretty, it's it's pretty broad, funny shit. Yeah. You know, like you're working with uh, Goldberg and, and Seth yeah, Rogen on yeah, that? Yeah. And like, where'd that idea come from? Those guys? No, it came from the writers, David Casp and Jordan Cahan, who created the, right. the pilot. And they... Had pitched it early to Showtime, and then Billions came out, and they were like, "Well, that's not our show's not going to happen." Um, but Seth and Evan had a deal there, mm-hmm. and uh, David Nevins had a Showtime at the time was asking, "What do you guys want to do?" And there was a bunch of projects. They said, "We want to do this one." Yeah, and so they got together, and David called me, and he said, "There's this project that I'm, I don't know if it's you. Actually, I don't think it's you." Nevins, as, I, as I'm saying out loud, yeah, yeah. He's like as I'm saying it out loud, I I don't think you're the right person. So anyway, good talking to you. <laughs> It's <laughs> good. And he hangs up. I was like, "Great talking to you, David." Yeah. And then he called me a little later and goes, "You know, actually, the more I think about it, I think this could, this actually might be good for you." Yeah, yeah. So and he said, and I talked to Seth and Evan, and they're way into it, and David and Jordan are way into uh-huh. it. So let's all get together and meet and see if there's something that can work out. And is it similar to the guy from House of Lies? 
I think people think he's. Uh, some people have thought that uh, I, I'm playing it, so I don't feel like he's right. got the same vibe as Marty is all. I think that they're different. You know, Marty at least held certain things. He he had some moral compass, and he had a family, and he had you know a, a grounding mechanism that was his dad and his son. And it wasn't as broad a comedy though. And yeah, it wasn't I mean, straight up right, broad, right. broad nuts. Yeah, comedy. yeah. This yeah. one is. And I think that's why David was really, David Nevins really sparked to it because he goes, this is like a straight comedy. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't need a moral compass. No. (laughs) These guys are bananas. Right. (laughs) Let's go. More coke, more insanity. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, so this is the the second season's going up now. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I I hope it uh, keeps going. Me too. And, you know, you're constantly working and obviously we could keep going through a bunch of stuff. It was great talking to you, man. It was great talking to you, too. Thanks for doing it. Thank you for decadding your studio for me. You got it, man. (laughs) Now I got to go listen to some Miles. Yo, no doubt. That was Don Cheadle. That was, I really enjoyed talking to that guy. And again, his uh, show, the show he's on now, Showtime's Black Monday, season two premieres. On Sunday, March 15th at 10 p.m., my special, End Times Fun, premieres tomorrow on Netflix. Uh, hey, Google, who is Mark Marin? According to Wikipedia, Mark David Marin is an American stand-up comedian, podcaster, writer, and actor. Hey, Google, what has Mark Marin done? According to Wikipedia, from 2013 to 2016, he starred in his own IFC television comedy series, Marin, for which he also served as executive producer and occasional writer. Wow, that's impressive. Hey Google, is Mark Marin a good stand-up comedian? Sorry, I don't have any information about that. Come on, you can't just say yes. I gotta play my, uh, my Les Paul Jr. just to erase that. Let's cleanse the palate with some... Greasy fucking tone.